If you'll turn with me, beginning of your Bible, chapter 2. This morning we will finish up chapter 2. We're going to read verses 18 through 25. As we noted last week, what the Lord's doing, this is not a different creation story, but it's almost, it's turning it like a diamond, looking at it from a different angle, honing in specifically on man here. God last week saw the creation of man, the design He had for man. And this morning we turn and look at God's design for man and woman as God brings and presents to Adam his bride. And chapter 2, I want you to know, is foundational to the rest of the Bible. Not only because we see God's design, God's design for man and woman, God's design for marriage, but God loves the image of marriage. And God's going to use that image throughout the rest of Scripture. In fact, He's going to wrap up this world with this same imagery. So we have a bracket here. A bracket of of not only uh, the human relationship, but God's relationship that gets closed in the end. And we see all the beauty of it. That's what I want us to see this morning. Let me pray before we read God's Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word that in it You have told us how all things came to be, Lord, that they are by Your power, Your might, Your will, and Your design. And so God, as even now we sit in a world that has been complicated and wrecked by sin. Nonetheless, this is what it was designed to look like. And so we desire it, Lord. And we long for the day when Christ comes back and puts away all the complications, all the barriers, Lord, the restoration of what was. Help us now this hour as we turn and see this, Father, that it might be a great encouragement not only to the Uh, to us in our marriages, the way we view each other, Lord, but great encouragement as it pictures for us Christ Jesus and His love for His church. In His name we pray. Amen. Let me read God's Word, starting with verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife And they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? This morning, as we consider man's need and and God's provision, we're going to look at three points. One, we are designed for companionship. Two, God created a bride fit for man. 
and three, the covenant bond of marriage. One, designed for companionship. As we dig into chapter two, it's overwhelming the abundance of God's creation. It's, it's teeming with life, all of chapter two and provision and joy and all its perfection. And it's like a, a, a river that's flowing, that river that's described as flowing and expanding outwards to cover the whole earth with God at its center. Each created thing has its place and in its place. And we see the, the flawless design that God has given. And Adam is right in the midst of it. It's a gift, this whole garden for him to enjoy, to guard and to cultivate. And we get the sense that the animals, just as uh, God uh, instructed them to do through instinct, are filling the whole earth. That they're being fruitful, they're multiplying. It says that uh, it was given to them as a mandate in chapter 1 to fill the skies and to fill the land. And we get the sense that the trees that last week were described as springing up, trees of all kinds, and from them fruit was being produced and multiplying. God's creation is thriving, yet He has held something back. He's waited to present a jewel in His garden a final gift, a beautiful uh, gift to Adam. Verse 18, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. There is an incompleteness for Adam until he has a corresponding bride. I love that God up to this point has, has called everything good. Everything that He's made has been good. And yet He says, something's not good. Something's not right here. It's not because he made a mistake. It's because it's, it's culminating in something. Adam is about his work and God is bringing to Adam every kind of animal. They pass by him and he's naming them. And then there's something glaringly evident to Adam as he looks at all these animals and names them. None of them are like me. Now God has met every desire for Adam so far. If he's hungry, there is food for the taking. Every tree is filled with the fruit. If he's thirsty, there's a river flowing that he might drink. Yet there is one desire that has yet to been fulfilled. He will need a companion. Someone that he can talk to, that he can enjoy life with and worship God with. Someone that he can fulfill the mandate that God has given him to fill the earth. And what we see here is one of God's favorite images, as I said, to use throughout the whole of the Bible. Marriage is how He starts the world and how He intends to finish it. So in this prototype here of man and woman, we will see the beauty of the Gospel to us this morning. It's not good that man should be alone. Man is made in God's image and we see first that God is not alone listen to this 126 says this let us make man in our image do you hear the plural God has companionship in the trinity the father and the son and the spirit speak to each other they take counsel together they work together in perfect Unity. Man is to have a counterpart to himself 
that he can speak to, that he can take counsel with and have shared enjoyment with. Why? Because he is the reflection of God. He is made in the image of God. God says, it is not good that man should be alone. It's God by his voice who is telling uh, not only Adam, but is telling us what we need. And he shows it to us in this first marriage. We were not made as human beings to function alone, but to be in relationship. And marriage is the greatest display of relationship. God made a helper fit for Adam. He never intended him to be alone. It was essential for man to be in relationship. And this is first imagined in marriage in which he's given a counterpart and a helpmate. It means that there's a deficiency in Adam that can only be answered in having a counterpart. The most blatant is Adam's not going to fill this earth with babies. He's not going to uh, fill this earth with worshipers and not expand the family without his bride. So she's essential. An essential counterpart, not an inferior counterpart. We would do well to look at our brides and marvel at how essential she is to us. That she is a good gift. Our desire and thanksgiving and praise unto God should be that He not only made us, but that He has given us our opposite to be the one who bears us up, who helps us in our responsibilities. And there is no one in all the earth that we get to have intimacy with like we do our spouse. It should reflect the intimacy that we get to have with God. Here is the perfect picture described for us. Sin hasn't entered yet, which brings intense complication to the relationship. But this is what we strive for, to be in intimacy and relationship with each other so that we see the goodness God sees in His design. God has planned marriage to be lasting. This is why He relates it to His own relationship with mankind. The church is the bride of Christ. He formed us and he has made us to be Christ's prized possession in creation. This is why the church is, is never described as an individual. We were not made to be soul worshipers out there on our own, but a body of worshipers. You hear that when he reflects on at last bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh worshipers who expand, who expand not only because we have children, we got to see a, a baptism last week of a child being included in this covenant community, but a, a church that expands because of converts, that worshipers are spreading out through the whole earth. Worshipers, us, who need helpmates. Helpmates who bear up our burdens and encourage us. This happens within the church. Worshippers who have an intimacy with Christ and each other. In fact, Paul states this explicitly, that marriage is this image. He says, this mystery, speaking about marriage, is profound. As he was talking about marriage, he says this, I am saying it refers to Christ and His church. Marriage is God's design. 
and it's essential to our relationship with each other and him. Now you might say this morning, that's great, Nathan's just speaking to those who are married. God hasn't given me a bride or a spouse or a husband. And it's possible even that this isn't God's plan for your life. You can pray for it and you can desire it, but one thing is for sure. You are not alone. Nor would it be good if you were. He has given both to the married and to the individual, to the single, a place in which they find themselves in relationship to each other and to Christ as the bride of Christ. It is His church. Man is not to be alone or without a helpmate. So we see first that God has designed us for companionship as reflected in the Trinity and in marriage and in the church. This then leads us to our second point. God created a bride fit for man. Verse 20. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. This is a problem that Adam can't solve. Only God can. And, in, and God doesn't ask Adam, you know, uh, notice, for his input. What might be the perfect bride if he was to have one? God is the designer. God is the creator. And so it will be with marriage also. It can't be overlooked that God, as with all things, is the root of everything that we see. Marriage is included in that. Marriage and the sexes is his good design. He puts Adam into a deep sleep, takes one of his ribs out of his side, fashions a woman, a counterpart for him, one who is made to be the perfect fit to all that he is lacking. And when Adam wakes up, I love this part, uh, Adam wakes up from his deep sleep. God comes and he, he presents Eve to him, this woman to him. He brought her to it. says like a gift. This is like a, like a father-in-law that's presenting, uh, presenting his bride or his daughter to uh, the husband. Would there be anything else in all of creation Adam would love more than this counterpart? You see that he's been anticipating in some sense. He looked around, there's, there's no one like me. And I think this anticipation breeds this, this appreciation for when he sees her, he launches into song, he launches into, into poetry. The thing that he has longed for has been given to him. He says, this at last is bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of my flesh. At last, I get to name someone just like me. He's received the helpmate fit for him. And she has no less dignity in this role than Adam and his. It doesn't mean that she's less than him. For she is also made in the image of God as well as Adam. Being made his helper is not being made his servant. She fits him and she suits him in every way. She is a part of his very fiber and being. Marriage brings us into that. Flesh, flesh, one, oneness. She reflects the very nature of God. Being a helper, I think today, for us can carry uh, some kind of negative connotation as, it's, as if it means something lesser. But what about this? 
God is referred to as a helper, as a helpmate. God is the one who comes to the aid of His people for rescue. Isaiah 41 says, Fear not, I'm with you. This is God speaking. Be not dismayed, for I am God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Is God less than those He helps? No, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a demotion. Or John 20, or John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Do you know what He calls Him? Helper, the comforter, the one who comes and is a helpmate to the church. Helpmate isn't a demotion, but a bond of companionship and promise. I think of my own bride when I was writing this, I can't tell you how lost I would be without this one who is fit for me. How lost I would be. You know, I can't even, I don't even remember what Jonah's medicine's called that he's supposed to take. I call her and uh, where are you? I told you I'm at the doctor's appointment that has been scheduled. I can't uh, do anything around this house without my wife. In fact, I've come down to help teach before, and that is a disaster. <laughs> she is beauty to my environment. She is the voice that supports and encourages and strengthens. She is a gift of God. This is woman. We lose something of this beautiful picture of a bride fit for man when we abandon the original design. This is the cultural war of the hour, is it not? The question is being asked, what is a woman? As if there's no dignity or purpose to the way God has made us. It's an assault on what God calls good. The obvious design of man and woman in today's world seemingly can be tossed out if you want to be something else. And it's not uncommon to see the distortion of woman's dignity today in pornography or social media or on billboards as if women were designed uh, to be some kind of eye candy or object. This is not God's design. She is a companion before she was a mother. This is the disaster of the, of, the, of the modern day dating scene. That relationship has become consumership. That you can, you can date on an app without any consequences. Have casual meetups. It's vapid. It is anti-God's design. And His design is critical and crucial, not only understanding the very fabric of mankind and how He designs uh, worshipers, but the church and our relationship to Jesus Christ Himself. She is a fit companion for man. And she is also the means by which the mandate to multiply and fill the earth is made possible. So integral to the design of God that Adam could not have accomplished his task without her. I love the way Matthew Henry says this. The woman was made out of the rib of Adam's side. Not out of his head to rule over him. Not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. But out of his side to be equal with him. Under his arm to be protected. And near his heart to be beloved. She has brought to Adam as the counterpart and bride. 
It is pointed out elsewhere that she is valued for herself alone. That's very important today when families face infertility, for instance. Because fertility does not make a woman valuable to her husband in itself. She in and of herself is valuable to her husband regardless of whatever procreative blessings the Lord showers on the family. This is the dignity of woman. We see man's need and we see God's provision. And as the church is pictured as a bride, beautiful imagery comes to the forefront of God's work for His church. Just as it was when Adam was asleep and God's work for his uh, Adam was asleep and God took uh, this initiative to supply the needs of Adam. So he does for his church. A people designed before the foundation of the world as a perfect fit for God's son. That's what Ephesians one opens up with, that he knew us before the foundations of the world, a bride that would be presented to His own Son. And just as the rib was taken from the side of Adam, and Adam received a wound which involved cutting and blood to produce a bride, so was the side of Jesus riven in order to receive a bride. One theologian says there must be sleep in the first Adam before God can take out of Him the ordained spouse. And there must be death in the second Adam, that is Christ, before God can take out of Him a chosen bride. And just as God presents the bride to Adam, so God does present the church to Christ. Ephesians 1.18 We talked about this, but what Christ receives in His church and His bride, the one that He's purchased with His own blood, He says, My inheritance. My inheritance has been given to me, which is described as being the part of his very body. This is the language of Scripture, of the church. It's almost if you hear the words, flesh of my flesh and bones of my bone church, you are part of the body of Christ. We are as much a part of Christ in faith as Eve was of Adam. We are one flesh with Christ. We are giving, given dignity and blessing by our new creation in Christ. So we have seen then that God has a design for companionship in man and woman just as He does the church and Christ. And we have seen that God created a bride as a fit for Adam so He does in making us a bride fit for Christ. So that finally we see the culmination of the image, the covenant bond of marriage. In verse 24 through 25, we have a, a change in voice. As Moses is writing this, he stops to make a comment here. This is a bit of his commentary, 24 through 25. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. As if Moses here in the wilderness is saying, I've shown you now, I've been writing, this is God's creation, this is His design. Let me pause for a moment and tell you why your marriage here in the wilderness is important. God designed it. The covenant God who makes commitments to His people 
As we saw last week, he made a commitment uh, to Adam. If Adam would obey, he'd have life. If he disobeyed, he died. We're going to see uh, in a couple weeks, God has a covenant of grace that he's going to give. God is the God of commitment, and this is reflected in the covenant bond of marriage. It would be something for us today that we can look back on as foundational, as purposeful for God to use as an image of his own covenant of grace to wed himself to a sinful and a broken people. Everything pictured and displayed in this garden image is to be a lasting reality that will carry on past the fall in the garden. We see several key things in Moses' commentary here. Our relationship in marriage changes to our parents that we're told that we must cling and hold fast to our spouse and that we are to become one flesh. The way we conduct ourselves in marriage is tied to this greater image of Christ and His church. Marriage first is a sacred covenant. Sacred between one man and one woman. It's monogamous. It trumps all other relationships. Even the closest familial relationship changes when a man is united to his wife. He is to hold fast to her. That is to cling to her. It is to be lasting. And if Adam and Eve would have not sinned, it would have been forever. You are to become one flesh. My father-in-law loves to use this every time uh, trying to make a decision with Ruth. He goes, uh, son. Sometimes he calls me funny. He calls me, uh, um, I just left my mind. Sweet honey bunch, sweetie pie. Come on, man, I'm a grown man, Paji. But he's always like, oneness, one mind. Me and my bride always have one mind. I don't agree with him. I don't always see that. But he's right that we be thinking as one mind, that we be communicating with each other. Thinking as one mind uh, is hard. But it's called for here in oneness. You are to share everything including that which is most intimate, the sexual relationship without shame. No shame is a picture of openness and trust in the deepest sense, and we are to bear our hearts, our weaknesses, our need, our joy, our sorrows, so on with our spouse. Again and finally, this is a beautiful picture of God's covenant with us. Ephesians 5 draws this out more fully. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might cleanse her by the washing of water with the Word that He might present the church to Himself with splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is a picture of the garden. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, nourish and cherish as Christ does the church. That's dripping. That language is dripping with the image of the garden. Of chapter 2, of the first covenant of marriage, Adam and his bride, who has God presenting her to him without spot or blemish in all of her splendor, and they are to become one flesh like Adam, who loved her as he loved himself, so that he named her a reflection in the Hebrew of his of the own uh, a word used for himself, 
He named her Isha, and he is called Ish. He is called her bone. He is called her bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. See, marriage is too important for us not to guard it with all our being, to pray for the Spirit, to sanctify it, because it is a picture of Christ and his church. He promises himself to us, Christ does, and he holds fast to us so that nothing can snatch his bride out of his hand, and he has made us one with him so that the things that you read that happen to Christ will happen to his bride, that we will be raised up, that we will be given an inheritance, that we will be with the Father, that we might draw near, that he is pleased with us because he is pleased with his Son. Let us pray then that in the covenant bond of marriage, we regard each other with the same love and regard that Christ has for us. God has made man and woman to complement each other and we rejoice in this good design. It's chapter 2. And you might read it and go, cool. Ah, but sin, right? Chapter 3 is coming. Ah, it's glorious to see it working well. So happy for Adam. Right? So, so happy that uh, he can sing when his wife is presented to him. Do you feel like that every morning when you wake up and look at your spouse? Where they lean over and say, did you make the coffee yet? I know that must be your prevailing thought. I read this and think, that's wonderful. Knowing Genesis 3 is next. And the whole of this image seems to be completely and utterly wrecked. But you know what? God won't let go of the image. In fact, He will only magnify it in His faithfulness to us, a wayward bride. He has done everything necessary to save us He has given His Son for our redemption. He presents us to Him when we have faith in Christ and in His saving love. He has given us a helpmate for the continuing battle of loving each other and fighting the sin that dwells in our heart. Not only a helpmate and a believing spouse, that's why that's important, but a helpmate in the Spirit who dwells in us. He has tied Himself to us. Most importantly, in covenant, in an unbreakable bond of love and intimacy that He will not let go of His bride, but instead will bring her to that glorious table in Revelation 19, the the feast as it closes of of the marriage supper of the Lamb where the bride sits with the bridegroom and there's no more suffering or tears or sorrow and there's no more strife. And there's no more loneliness if you desire a spouse. And there's no more weeping over infertility. There's perfection. That's where He's taking you. And that's good news. See, just as God answered man's need with His provision, He has done so for us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.